Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We do thank you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege that you provided for the elders to go and to be edified, to be encouraged, and to be equipped by those who have so diligently studied the the doctrine of the church and church polity. God, we pray for Mark Dever. We pray for Trip Lee. Pray for Shylin. We pray for Bobby Jameson. We pray for Pastor John. We pray for Shylin. Pray for Jeremy Young. Pray for Stephen. Steve Lou. We pray for Jeremy or Joey. And we pray, God, for uh, all the other pastors, Lord, that I, I can't think of now. That in their respective cities and in their respective countries, that you would use them to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to advance your kingdom, to equip your saints, to disciple young men, young women, old men, old women for the glory of God. We pray, God, that they would raise up by your spirit and by your word leaders that will carry on the torch of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ should you tarry. From generation to generation, we pray for pastors in our own city. We pray for Chad Vegas. We pray for Tracy. We pray for um, Josh. Lord, we pray for uh, Randy. God, we pray for uh, many of the other names that I presently can't think of that you know. We pray for them, that you would use them to faithfully continue to Declare the gospel to make disciples, to advance your kingdom, and to live their church lives and their private lives in such a way that honors, glorifies, and lifts you up. Now, Lord, we pray for this church. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, minds to understand. We pray that our focus would be on Christ and his glory. We pray, God, that you would help us to see the wonderful, majestic truth in Tetelestai. It is finished. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. I become less that you and you alone can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way and that you alone would be honored. You alone would be glorified. For the glory of God and for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Verse 23 of chapter 19. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, for his tunic, also for his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her. To his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there 
So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth, his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day. As we continue our series in the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross of Calvary, we come this morning to the sixth of the seven sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ from Calvary's cross. You will remember that the first saying of our Lord was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This morning we find the sixth saying of our Lord found in verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the second to the last saying of our Lord before he yielded up his life. We often assume that this is the the final saying of our Lord. But there is still one more saying. If we were to stand back and take all of the seven sayings of our Lord from the cross, we could construct a deep theology of the cross. And we could construct a deep theology of Christ and his identity. The sixth saying, it is finished, is to be understood as a cry of victory. This saying, it is finished, is possibly the most well-known And possibly also the the most well-loved of all the words spoken of Christ from the cross. The awful, unimaginable cry of our Lord, experiencing the forsakenness of the Father, expressed in his words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I thirst, are followed by his cry of victory and his cry of triumph. It is finished. In the Greek, it is translated as just one word, not three, but one, tetelestai, completed. Tetelestai, completed. It was a word used when a debt was paid in full. A stamp of the word tetelestai, completed, was stamped on paperwork to show the debt had been paid. The forsakenness of the father was all but over. The ordeal is all but over. The powers of darkness have done their worst and they have been vanquished. God's eternal plan has been fulfilled in his beloved son. And the son cries out, it is finished, completed, tetelestai. The work the father gave to the son accomplished. It has been perfectly accomplished. Now what we need to ask is this. And you should always ask very simple questions like this. What was it that was completed by Jesus on the cross of Calvary? What was it that was accomplished? What was it that was completed? Another way of asking that or putting that is this. What was the cross of Christ really all about? Another way to ask is what was the cross of Jesus Christ? What was it really all about? Well, from one perspective, the cross of Jesus was planned or plotted by the enemies of Jesus from one perspective. 
We cannot read the Gospels and not be struck by the great hatred that the enemies of Christ had for him. To the extent that they, that they would, as the scripture tells us in John eleven fifty three, make plans to put him to death. That's how great the hatred of the enemies of Christ was. And put him to death, they did. They found one that would betray him. They gathered false witnesses. They twisted facts. They manipulated a Roman governor and influenced the crowd so that all of their hatred could be carried out. Their wicked plans could be carried out to the point that the Lord Jesus Christ would be put to death. From one perspective, the Lord Jesus is on the cross because of a deceitful conspiracy by wicked men who were determined to put him to death. What these wicked men, and deeply religious wicked men, wicked men, mind you, what they planned had been successful. It is finished. But if we were to stop there, we would be completely blinded to the deeper truth, to the greater truth. Why is he on the cross? What is the greater truth? The Lord Jesus is on the cross, not because of the betrayal of Judas, not because of the hatred of the Jews, and not because of the cowardice of Pilate, but our Lord is on the cross because... How would you finish that? How would you finish or conclude that point? What might you say? Would you say our Lord is where he is, namely on the cross, because the Father loved us? Don't forget our tendency. A speaker at the conference recently said, we have a tendency to photobomb the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a silly point, but it's a point well understood. Coming in and completely stealing the show, stealing the focus of the picture by jumping into the scene. The Lord Jesus Christ is on the cross, not preeminently, not chiefly, because the Father loves you. But the Lord Jesus Christ is where he is preeminently, chiefly because the Father loves the Son. Do you hear that? I wonder if you can see that. Isn't he bearing the wrath of God in our place and for our judgment? Absolutely. Undeniably and for the glory of God. Yes, he is where he is, though. Because his Father loves him. And had a purpose. What? Why? How does he love him? He had a purpose of glorifying his son. And the only way that glory would come to the son to its greatest magnitude was by way of the cross. Does he love you? Yes. But he loves his son preeminently more. And he is more concerned with the glory of his son than he is with your own glory. Do you hear that? Brothers and sisters, if we are to make any sense of the cross of Jesus Christ, we must understand that the cross was deliberately and eternally planned by God Almighty. It was the eternal decree of God. Isaiah 53.10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The Lord has put him to grief. So then who is the primary actor in this scene? Who is the primary actor in all of this drama? God is the primary actor in all of this trauma. But didn't Judas betray him? Yes. Didn't the Jews plot to kill him? Yes. Didn't Pilate put him to death? Agreed. Yes. And they did so of their own sinful free will. 
They chose what their hearts mostly desired, namely the death of Jesus Christ. But there was a deeper truth. All of their actions were eternally decreed within the saving purposes of the sovereign God to make his son the firstborn among many brothers. And then to save his people from the wrath of God. The ultimate purpose on the cross, the preeminent, the chief purpose of the cross was not the redemption of sinners, but the glory of the Son. And because the Son is glorified, sinners are saved. Is there a redemption of sinners? Absolutely. But that is not the primary purpose. The first primary purpose is glory to the... Do you see the switch there? It's a slight switch, but it's such a huge switch, a major switch in our minds because we have been constantly fed this idea that this blessed book and the Savior that it points to is all about us when it's really all about him. We must constantly deny ourselves. We must constantly take up our cross, crucify our flesh, and even resist the temptation to photobomb Jesus, if you will. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world as a servant of the Lord. He came on a mission given to him by his father. Behold, from the servant songs, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold, my servant, whom I will uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is why Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, John six thirty eight. It's about his father. His father has given him a mission, and he will accomplish the mission of his father. Jesus came as the new Adam. He came as the the better Adam to do what Adam failed to do, to fulfill all righteousness and bring a broken creation back to its creator. The ultimate end to why the Lord created the heavens and the earth was to make his son the firstborn among many brothers. He is the head of a new creation. That is the mission of Christ. That is the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ has a number of aspects to it, though. The mission, listen, the mission of Christ has a number of aspects to it. Here's just four aspects to that mission. Number one, he came to glorify, to glorify his father. These are aspects to that mission. Number one, he came to bring glory to his father. It is finished. In John 17, he looks up to heaven and prays to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Why? So that your Son may glorify you. Paul tells us that when God subdued all things under Christ, what does Christ do? Christ then brings all things under his Father and God will be all in all. To glorify the Father. Christ came to bring glory to the Father. Soli Deo Gloria. What other aspect of that mission that Christ came to accomplish? He came to die the just for the unjust. That was an aspect of his mission. He came to die the just for the the unjust. It is finished. Tetelestai. The angel said to Joseph in Matthew 121, he will save his people from their sins. The Lord Jesus did not come to make salvation. Listen close. He did not come to make salvation possible. He did not come to make salvation probable. 
The Lord Jesus Christ came to guarantee salvation for those for whom he died. As one false teacher said, Jesus died without ever having a guarantee that anyone would ever believe. That's false. He had a guarantee. He went on a mission and was going to accomplish that mission. And when he said, Tetelestai, it is accomplished. It is finished. Jesus came. Purposely laid down his life for the sins of his people. And it was not a possible redemption. It was a particular redemption for a particular people. And he would not fail in saving them to the uttermost. He did not come to put us in a savable state as Rome teaches. But rather he came to die. The just for the unjust. That was a part of his mission. Thirdly, a part of his mission. He came to vanquish the powers of darkness. It is finished. Paul tells us in Colossians 2.15. His cross, by his cross, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. Doing what? Making an open spectacle of them. We must not miss this point. This point of victory at the cross. He came to defeat the powers of darkness. He came to fulfill the first great gospel promise in Genesis 3.15. The promised seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. He came to fulfill that. He came to defeat the powers of darkness. That was a part of his mission. Fourthly, he came to be the firstborn among many brethren. God's purpose, once again, in the predestination Of you and I was not just to save you and I, but in saving you and I, he would make his son the firstborn among many brothers. God's primary purpose in sending his son is the exaltation of his son, just as the son's primary purpose in coming is the exaltation of the father. There is an there is an there is a intertrinitarian desire to glorify one another. The father glorifies the son. The son glorifies the father. The spirit glorifies the son. They glorify one another. They are eternally one. And in all of that, he came to fulfill the law. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Verse 28, after Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. Verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, I'd like you to think, and I'm going to slow down. The question that we briefly explored last time is this. Why didn't Jesus say, it is finished, when he knew it is finished? Why didn't Jesus say, it is finished, when he knew it was finished? Why did he first ask for a drink? The first reason is given clearly in the text. He said, I thirst to fulfill the scriptures. Our Lord is fulfilling Psalm 69. Every detail of the Lord's arrest, trial, and suffering are detailed for us in the Psalms. The darkness of the forsakenness of the Father has passed. And now he thirsts. But maybe the other reason that we briefly pointed out last week is because John is reminding us that Jesus is truly human and that the humanity of Christ is no charade. Therefore, the thirst of Christ means that he is gaining sustenance so that he could, not with a whimper, 
but with a cry, with a shout of victory, declare, it is finished. The Lord needed in his nearly dead humanity a moment of refreshing in order to have enough strength to declare to all those who, were, who had ears on Golgotha's hill, it is finished, tetelestai, for all who had ears to hear. And they would have recognized, they would have heard that word. They knew what it meant. And to hear Jesus cry out to all those who were on that hill, who were listening, who had ears to hear, tetelestai, it is finished. Those who had ears to hear, their ears would be perked up to find out what does that mean. And I got to ask you, what does that mean? It is finished. We've heard uh, aspects of his mission, but what does it is finished mean? What does it is finished? What does it mean? In closing, it means this. He meant that his obedience to the father was complete. His obedience to the Father was complete. It is finished. It meant that the Son had been obedient to the Father, even obedient to the point of death on a cross. From the moment of the conception of Christ, the Lord had relentlessly and faithfully lived in perfect obedience to the Father. This is the great truth of His life. He says what He says. He does what He does in obedience to the Father to fulfill the will of the Father. Even, brothers and sisters, as the shadow of the cross began to loom over his human soul, even at that final moment when he is in the garden praying, he is in anguish, he is in suffering, and what does he pray? Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. And he is declaring that will is complete it is finished. Our Lord is saying that the eternal decree of being humiliated, his willing and loving embrace. Now think about that. His willing and loving embrace of humiliation is now complete. The willing and loving hum, hum, humiliation, acceptance of humiliation, it is now complete. God's determinate counsel and forewill concerning his death was now complete. All that had been appointed from eternity that he should suffer, he had now completely suffered. He had kept God's perfect law to the uttermost as our federal head, as our representative. Satan could no longer, Satan could not find anything to accuse him of. So then he stands as now our advocate before the Father. He imagined or he magnified the father by keeping his law and keeping every letter, every line. He magnifies the father by keeping his law, not by downplaying the law, but by exalting the law, by keeping every jot and every tittle, every letter, every line. He exalts the father. Woe to us if Christ has not kept the law, brothers and sisters. But he has kept the law. He says in Matthew 5, 12, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. And fulfill them he has. He's now entered into a new phase of his work as being the mediator between God and man. He completed the work that the Father had given him to accomplish. Secondly, 
What does it mean? It meant that the awful price of atonement had been paid. What does it mean to say it is finished? It meant that the awful price of atonement was paid. It is finished, John 19.30. Listen. The conspiracy. Now capture all this. The conspiracy. The betrayal. Do you see it? The agonizing in the garden. Do you see that? The mock trial. Can you picture it? The false witnesses coming forth. Can you see them? Can you hear them? The beating of the mob. Can you feel that? Standing in front of governors and and crowds. The bearing the cross to where he could no longer bear it any longer. The hanging from that cross for six hours. The bearing the sin and the shame. And listen, more than all of that, the forsakenness of the Father. Completed. It is finished. All of that is done. The Lord Jesus Christ drank the cup of the wrath of God down to its bitter dregs. Down to the very last drop. His sufferings were finished. His sufferings were completed. Tetelestai. Like the Apostle Paul. He had finished his course, his intense, unimaginable sufferings as the sin bearer of his people were now complete. The storm was now over. He had passed through the depths of darkness. His pain paid the full ransom price required to redeem his people, you and I, from the slave market of sin. He completed the work that the Father gave him to do, to redeem, to buy them out, to buy us out of that slave market. Tetelestai. It has been accomplished. The work of atonement has been completed. The price has been paid. Come, let us enter in. By one perfect act of obedience, God has provided forgiveness and peace for everyone who believes in Christ. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, Hebrews 10.10. There is no ongoing sacrifice for sin, brothers and sisters. We do not keep praying for our, keep paying for our sins. They have been paid for. That is why the Roman Mass is such a blasphemy. Because there is a constant re-offering, re-offering, re-offering. He has been offered once for all. Tetelestai. God in Christ made atonement for sin. His great work of redemption was now finished. He made an end to sin and the power of sin. Rejoice. He made an end to sin and the power of sin. Rejoice. He made reconciliation for iniquity and brought everlasting righteousness to a particular people whom he had foreloved before the foundation of the world. Tetelestai. Third and finally, Jesus did not mean that everything was finished. Huh. What do you mean? There is work to be done beyond the completion, isn't there? What is our Lord right now doing? Is he reclining in ease? No. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since 
He always lives. He presently lives. He is right now living. And doing what? Making intercession for his elect. Making intercession for his... What is he doing? Moment by moment, he is presenting himself and his finished work to the Father to secure our salvation, our sanctification, and our preservation. What was the work of the priest? It was to offer sacrifices for sin and to intercede with God for the people. And that is what our great high priest king is now doing. Our Lord is continuing a work Not dying again, not being put back on the cross again, not making salvation, uh, 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 not going through the process of, of saving people again, but securing salvation. He has made for all whom the Father has given to him. He defends us from our enemies. There is, in Hebrews, three works that are related to, listen to this word, the appearings of Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.26, He has appeared once for all to take away sin. He has appeared, past once for all to take away sin. Hebrews 9.24, He appears now, right now, in the presence of God on our behalf, Hebrews 9.24. There is a past work, there is a present work, And there is a future work. Hebrews 9.28. He will appear. A second time. What do we do when we come to the Lord's table? We celebrate the past work of Christ. What do we do when we come to the Lord's table? We celebrate the present work of Christ. What do we do when we come to the Lord's table? We celebrate the future work of Christ in the consummation of the kingdom. We celebrate. He no longer has to deal with sin. Sin has been vanquished. But to gather the redeemed throughout all the ages of history to himself, through himself, and present his perfect bride to his father, that is what is left. To gather all of his elect, to gather all of his saints, his bride, and present them to the father, that is left to do. And that is what we are waiting for. That's what we are longing for. All creation, the Bible says, longs and yearns for that moment. The purpose of his first coming has been completed. It is finished. And now, in heaven's glory, he continues as our great high priest king, working on our behalf. And if we can fathom that, even that one day will be completed. One day he will come again to consummate the kingdom and inaugurate and put an end to human history. All on this earth will be over. We will live in the new heavens and the new earth. And then what will happen? First Corinthians fifteen twenty eight. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected, subjected to him who put all things under subjection to him that God may be all in all. It is finished. What does that mean for us? Here's your application. What does that mean for us? It means that we have nothing to do that he has not already done by way of the salvation that he's provided and accomplished. Did you hear that? 
It means that we have nothing left to do. Brothers and sisters, at the heart of the gospel, there is a great truth. Come to Jesus and rest the weight of all that you are on the work that he has accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Rest the weight of all that you are on the cross of Calvary and all that he has accomplished. Come, let that be your testimony, your life, your death. Let it be this. He loved me and gave himself for me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust my sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let that be your testimony. But what about when I don't feel like I've done enough? What about when my affections for Christ are not what I know they should be, or what at least I know he deserves? What when I don't give to him all that I know I should, all that I know he deserves? We read of Jonathan Edwards who says that the heart of true religion lies great religious affections, and we agree. We agree. But brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, our hope alone in God lies not in my religious affections, not in my preaching, not in my prayer or anything else. My hope before God rests in this. Tetelestai. It is finished. That's where my hope is. His completed work. I have nothing to do but come to him who did it all. He has done all, paid all, performed all, suffered all. All that was needful to save his people and satisfy the justice of God. He has completed tetelestai. He fought our battle and now stands eternally victoriously declaring it is finished. And he would prove that two days later by rising from the dead. Death could not hold him. Brothers and sisters, have you come to Christ who has done it all? Have you come to Christ who has done it all? Have you come to Christ who has completed for you what you nor I could do or complete for ourselves? Here's another question. Are you daily coming to Christ who did it all? Are you daily coming to Christ who did it all? Our confidence is this. He loved me and gave himself for me. He drew me to himself and I came running. But don't stop running. Don't stop coming to Christ. Don't stop coming near. Don't stop drawing near to him. Come to him day after day. Luther said in this word it is finished. I will comfort myself. A man who struggled so much with trying to obey the law and keep the law says in this word it is finished. I find comfort for myself. Christ is the end of the law. What it requires, Christ has accomplished. Brothers and sisters, come to Christ who has perfectly completed all that God has required. He died to save his people from their sins. So repent, turn from your sins, place your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Be baptized, join his church. It is finished. Tetelestai. To God alone be the glory. Let us stand.